go. Wonder if he can hear me yet. No, he can't. I don't have my audio on now. I do. There he is. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Not too bad. Nice. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> this is very late for you. Oh, yeah. Eight o'clock. I should be in my jamba jam. <laughs> Having my Ovaltine and my toast. <laughs> I'm not forgoing those things. Welcome to Super Duperstitious, the comedy podcast that looks at spooky things from a scientific perspective. Ooh. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. And I, uh, I don't know, that was an okay one, I guess. That was a pretty okay one indeed. I would give that a 100% of a 75% of 100. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. It was accurate. It was astute. Very toit. <laughs> and it describes the show you're not listening to, which is us. Talking about weird stuff and trying to uh, apply some Ta-da. scientific principles to yeah, it when exactly. we can. Or at least apply some screams, gasps, and laughs. Um, what are we talking about today, Jake? Well, we try to think of... Scary of a, furniture. That's right. <laughs> we try to think of a prompt for this week, and I, I have to assume you were just kind of looking around at things near you <laughs> when you responded <laughs> to me. <laughs> I believe you said... uh weird furniture that's the tone a i read your text anyway man in a white outfit once told me that i do not have something called permanence d'objet <laughs> which i did not understand so i don't know what he was talking about i don't know why that came into my mind just now but i will tell you i get a lot of inspiration from my immediate environment including the garish purple fanged Oh. Upside down sofa couch <laughs> that we do not own. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Um, so this week we are talking about uh, that. <laughs> it's all about that couch. Going, yeah. We already recorded the whole episode. It's about five hours long. This is just a cool Yeah, we're loop. doing some pickups for just to put it on the Yeah, yeah that's the one. <laughs> No, of course, we're talking about strange furniture. This is another kind of uh, eerie objects category, I suppose. It is uh, an odd episode. It is. Meaning, I go first? Yep. Okay. (laughs) I genuinely need to go to the doctor. (laughs) This certain beer that I have here is about to be my dinner, so. Oh, no. Is it uh, one of the quaff ones, or is it one you're already having to start with? It's just some random beer, Jake. No, it's one of the quaff ones. <laughs> I won't tell you which one it is. Soft pants. So oh, yeah, I remember that one. Okay, yeah, cool. Get your soft pants ready. Soft pants with a hard <laughs> internal part. You know what I'm saying, talking about. One thing I also want to mention, too, is that um, I... caps. I guess. I left um, a lot... I bought a lot of those back in, like, I want to say August... With the intent Oof. of using them for the show, and then meant to mail them right away, and then just kept forgetting to. They just sat on the counter. My goodness! When I did pack them up to send to you, I did. Uh, I had you know the twin for each one, so we could each have one to drink, sitting in the fridge. So I swapped out everyone that I had in the fridge. I swapped out to send you the refrigerated one, 
and I took the ones that had been room temperature for months. Oh no, Jake. I was kind of ready to drink dog shit. I think one of them is. So it's going to be a <laughs> Russian roulette thing. Was it the one that was in that plastic bag? <laughs> yeah, the one I dumped into a loose plastic bag. Um, <laughs> also, I want to make a point of announcing on the show, I received a care package from Jake today. Mm. And it it light lit up my day. It lighted up my day. <laughs> I only received one of two. I was understanding. It looks like the the other one, which is just a little, um, just a don't little like me. mailer. Don't tell me. Like don't it's sh- yeah, a mailer is this don't. this size. Stop it! Don't tell me. It's gonna come tomorrow. That's all I'm gonna say. I, okay. I watched the tracking. I guess it's not gonna come till tomorrow for some reason. I don't know how they got separated, but that's happening. Well, they say the best things are to be waited for, and great things come in small pack. Oh Jesus Christ in heaven! And big things come in small packages, and you save the best for last. So my expectations could not be higher, Jake. All right. Well, I hope that that works out good for you. <laughs> I do too. In fact, I, I'm, I'm certain that I hope that. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, all I have received from Jake is just like eight, I guess, super interesting looking beers <laughs> and the legendary OG MPU. That's right. Or the mobile poo. Um, poo, the um, poo or mobile podcasting unit. So you can finally store. I'm assuming you've just been storing your microphone and stuff in your pockets at all times. I have been bundling up everything into one giant tangled mass and then (laughs) baseball heaving it towards my backpack when I go anywhere. (laughs) If it lands inside, that is a good ride. (laughs) No, I, of course, have been carefully bundling it or, you know, (laughs) crumbling it into into a a a careful knot and then tenderly heaving it into my backpack. (laughs) Exactly. Um, no, this will be this will greatly improve the lifespan of this gear, which, as you may have noticed over the past perhaps ten episodes, <laughs> maybe deteriorating slightly. Getting a little bit of that crouch. In no small part, I'm sure, also because of my death grip that I hold the mic with. I have noticed that it seems to be just kind of slowly cracking apart in your hand. <laughs> yeah, I'm holding up essentially a microchip with a wire hanging off of it now to talk. Yeah, it looks like if you just took an ice cream cone and just grabbed it as hard as you could. And then whatever happened inside. <laughs> yeah. It is disconcerting now that there is also an ooze, like you would expect from an ice cream cone. That is cold. <laughs> yeah. Cold ooze. Anyway, tell me about some furniture. But yes, yeah, so a very sweet thing to receive on to me talking about other stuff now. <laughs> Jake, have you ever heard of the conjure chest? No. Ah. Neither had I. And <laughs> you still haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who prepared this or how. Uh, but yeah, my story, the section, the, the story for my section comes from excerpts from Michael Norman and Beth Scott's 1994 book, Haunted America. I'm sure not the only book with that title. <laughs> um, as featured on the WordPress site of Fairweather Lewis. Self-professed lover of ghosts and music. Interesting. It also incorporates content from the uh, Kentucky History page Mm. called the Kentucky Historical Society, as you might be surprised (laughs) to learn. So, on plantations in the antebellum south, there were many occupations held by slaves from house servants through skilled craftsmen down to field hands. Jacob Cooley who owned a large plantation near Frankfort, Kentucky, owned a slave named Hosea, who was one of the most skilled craftsmen in the state. Hosea made furniture. It was a piece of his own making 
that brought about his death. Hmm. Jacob Cooley was a harsh disciplinarian at best. And as this flavorful text suggests, an evil bastard at worst. <laughs> worst. Um, essentially, when his wife was carrying their first child, Jacob ordered that Hosea build him a chest of drawers to honor the, the uh, newborn baby. And despite the fact that Hosea made a very beautiful chest of drawers, apparently Jacob Cooley did not like this chest at all mm. and beat the man to death. Jesus. So Hosea's friends and family knew of a conjure man uh, who essentially practiced some form of dark magic. Mm-hmm. So one dark night, the story goes, they gathered in the conjure man's cabin and managed to get possession of the chest and put a curse on it, sprinkling uh, owl's blood Mm. in the top drawer, essentially putting a curse of death on the chest for Jacob Cooley and all of his future lineage. Which potentially, depending on how many people you kill at the outset, might not go very far. Indeed, yeah. Much like viruses, curses need to work very slowly in order to survive. Anyhow, Jacob Cooley, I guess, calms down and perhaps out of guilt, they say, eventually puts the chest of drawers in his as yet unborn child's room. Mm -hmm. And this, as they say, is where it begins. Mm -hmm. The firstborn son died within days of his birth. And they say here that baby boy was only the first of the descendants to die of the curse. The second Cooley son was, as a young man, stabbed to death by his personal servant. Ooh. The chest of drawers fell by inheritance to Cooley's third son, John, whose wife tactfully stored it in the attic, knowing the tragic associations it had for his family. Eventually, though, she gave it to her sister-in-law, Jacob Cooley's youngest daughter, Melinda, as a housewarming gift when she and the man with whom she had eloped, a charming but lazy Irishman named Sean, <laughs> set up housekeeping on another holding of the Cooley family. Mm-hmm. Melinda bore many children and was left to raise them alone when her husband deserted her and moved to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Melinda became the third victim, dying of worry and overwork before she was 40. The Cooleys received word shortly after her death that her husband, Sean, had been killed as well when a steamboat's descending gangplank bonked him in the head. Thanks. John Cooley and his wife Ellie adopted one of Melinda's orphans, a little girl named Evelyn, who married at 17, like you did back then, I guess. Ellie gave the gave Evelyn and her husband the conjure chest. Of course she did. Perhaps, hoping that the previous deaths had only been coincidental. They weren't. <laughs> Evelyn and her husband adopted a young orphan themselves, a girl named Arabella. And Evelyn stored Arabella's wedding dress in the chest. Can you guess what happens, Jake? Uh, the wedding dress dies? The wedding dress dies. Damn. Within months. <laughs> um, <laughs> Arabella's husband and only child died within weeks of each other. Another bride in the family, Evelyn's daughter-in-law, Esther, also stored her bridal finery in the chest, not learning anything this family. Esther died shortly thereafter. An aunt killed, or sorry, <laughs> an aunt killed a scarf. <laughs> <laughs> An aunt knitted a scarf and gloves for her son's Christmas present one year and with Evelyn's permission, stored the gifts in the chest. Can you guess what happened? The scarf and gloves died. <laughs> and the boy was killed shortly thereafter when he fell from a train trestle. Yeah. It goes on in this manner for quite a while. 
I don't know how many more victims you care to hear about. <laughs> Give me like only, I don't know, 20 more. One of Evelyn's biological daughters was deserted by her husband after storing some items in the chest. <laughs> One of Evelyn's younger children was crippled in a freak accident when its clothing, its clothing, come on, was put in the chest. Evelyn, oh God. Oh no, it's the chest. Affecting my microphone. <laughs> oh, no. Evelyn over... Oh, God. Joke's on Wyatt. The uh, original MPU is the chest. <laughs> oh, God. There we go. Evelyn finally, tired out by the chest, takes her own life. She was the 11th victim. There would be seven more. Wow. The chest was inherited by Virginia Carrie Hudson, who thought the tales of the curse were hearsay. As you might expect, many of her friends, family, and offspring died. All of whom were stored in the chest at, at some point, I assume. Everyone's putting stuff in the chest and then dying. And I don't know if they're just clumsy or what. <laughs> okay. Kind of threw this all together and it is reading less well than I thought it would as I <laughs> sit here. And I apologize. <laughs> just what I said, the look on your face is like you're seeing it all for the first time. <laughs> it feels like that. It's bizarre because I read through this and I was like, yeah, cool. And I know that feeling very well. I've done that plenty of times. And I, I usually, like, I when I'm pasting stuff all together, like we both usually do, uh, and I'll think it's all fine, and then I'll start going through, like, oh, fuck, I didn't notice that this doesn't make any sense here, and stuff like that. In my mind, it read more fun as a as a list of deaths, <laughs> but now is that I'm now that I'm reading it, I'm like, oh god, <laughs> it's a list um, of deaths. So many deaths. So Virginia Hudson's kids die like crazy. Her first baby's clothes were put in the chest. She died. Another child's clothes were tucked in a drawer. She contracted an infantile paralysis. Oh, no. Third daughter's wedding dress. All these wedding dresses. Everyone wants to stuff a wedding dress in a, in a chest for some reason. <laughs> first husband runs off. Son was stabbed in the hand. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, these are smaller deaths. Right. <laughs> it's the death of the relationship, a death of your dexterity. <laughs> Even a friend of the family put hunting clothes in that chest. And you better believe... Some deer died. He shot some deer. <laughs> 16 victims, including one deer, all of whom had one thing in common. Some of their personal clothing had been put in the conjure chest. The hunter was shot. Mrs. Hudson wanted to put an end to the curse. She found what she had hoped would be the solution in the form of an old friend of hers, an African-American woman named Annie. Annie understood curses and conjures, the story goes. The spell cast by Hosea's faithful companions would be broken only when three conditions were met. Mrs. Hudson would have to be given a dead owl without her having to ask for one. Mm -hmm. Jake, I know this is not a problem for you. You get owls all the time. Second, the green leaves <laughs> of a willow with owls. tree. <laughs> Flush with owls. The green leaves of a willow tree had to be boiled from sunup to sundown. All the while, the dead owl had to remain in sight. And third, the boiled liquid was then to be buried in a jug with its handle facing east toward the rising sun below, Jake, can you guess? The uh, test? Or the owl? Or both? A, fla a flowering bush. You were close enough. Oh, okay. Within a short time, Mrs. Hudson had the owl, strangely. A family friend had given one to her son, some stuffed owl or something okay. for some reason, insanely. She and Annie got together and boiled the willow leaves while the owl stood guard nearby, then buried the jug full of liquor, spelled with L-I-K-K-E-R, under a lilac bush, then in full bloom, hmm. with the handle facing west. Oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. It was facing east. And then they waited to see if the curse had been lifted. Annie told her that if one of them died shortly, they would be the last. 
I'm not sure how reassuring that is. One final death. And as you might have guessed, Andy died the September following that strange lifting of the curse. Hmm. That strange lifting of the curse? Oh, God, Wyatt. Andy dies. She Hmm. was the 17th and the last known victim. Apparently, there was 18. Despite saying 17, Virginia Maine, Mrs. Hudson's daughter, was the last private owner of the chest. She never used it. After storing it in her attic for many years, she finally, it said, gave it to the Kentucky History Museum in Frankfurt in 1976. Hmm. And there it remains. So at last report, it had never been put on display, remaining in storage. And the museum staff, they say, have placed a powerful talisman against the curse in that old blooded drawer where the owl's blood was placed so long ago. Mm -hmm. Gosh, this is really well written. No wonder I'm struggling. (laughs) A handful of feathers from an owl. So how does the Kentucky Historical Society describe the chest themselves? Amazingly, along very similar lines. (laughs) You would think all this so far has been... trappings of a very very folksy tale well it's funny because of how many parallels there are between our two stories up to and including a museum later (laughs) oh no yeah they they by their account the chest was likely made in kentucky around 1830 Hmm. possibly in meade county where members of the graham family resided so there's different names hmm Official record has different names. The story begins when Jeremiah Graham, not Jacob Cooley, making preparations for his firstborn, which included a chest that was hand-carved and made by an enslaved man named Remus, not Hosea. Unfortunately, from there, the story is very, very similar, Hmm. including the beating, the death, and the subsequent cursed deaths. And, even more spooky, some of the owl feathers do remain in the top drawer of the chest. Oh, wow. It's quite creepy. So, should I give my little breakdown right now, or do we want to wait until the end of yours? Because I suspect we're going to have similar similar things to say. Uh, No, there are some differences with mine that I'm pretty positive won't come up with yours. So, very cool. I'm my my assessment here. uh, Very spooky and sad story, of course. Classic case of subjective and objective realities crashing into and blurring one another. Yeah. In an objective sense, the chest is just a chest, Mm -hmm. but subjectively. In the way we as the audience of, or heavens forbid, the owners of that chest experience it, the curse can be very much actualized in our minds. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Jake and I have talked about this tons of times on this show, but our brains just basically love superstitious thinking. It's just easier to have an answer for stuff. Things don't happen for no reason, and so that makes it just easier to process. Exactly. We are, whether we like it or not, desperate for understanding and control in the face of our lived experiences. So whatever the actual physical causes of death for the victims, if you will, of the conjure chest, the connection to the chest feels causal, feels explanatory, Mm -hmm. and darkly is pretty satisfying for our minds. There it is. The chest is is the problem here. Right. So, and I mean, I would say so much so that even as someone who does not believe in curses, I would not put clothing in that fucking chest, I tell you what. Right. Hell no. <laughs> um, and that is the conjure chest of drawers. <laughs> Very interesting. Well, thank you for sharing. I had not heard of that one before. Cursed objects do typically follow pretty similar uh, kind of trajectories. I talked about that vase a while back, or a little Indeed. while back. 
and it was another case where I was like, oh, someone cursed it for some reason, and then a bunch of people died for years and years, and uh, a lot of it's <laughs> kind of apocryphal, and there's not a lot of like very clear record keeping around it. It's like, oh yeah, at this point, someone else died, and then this person who has no name also died. Exactly. So it also does seem like stuff like that, if it becomes known at any point by any people, then starts to just kind of attract stories to go with it. Exactly. The old snowball effect. Mm-hmm. But it kills you. But it kills you. It's an avalanche. Yeah, that one. Jake, I'm, of course, now in possession of rather old, dusty-ass beer. <laughs> uh-huh. That at one point was, think, on the tippy-top shelf of a place out there in Minneapolis. Yes, indeed. And I was wondering... If it might be time for... For... The the oh. <laughs> oh, no. quaff. Welcome, everyone. We're back. It's finally happening. We may be able to do this more regularly now that I have old beer. <laughs> now that I have like actually gotten used to the idea of just using the postal service, <laughs> I will uh, I'll have more of them more often. Um, so, Jake, I think today we could maybe drink hard dick soft pants. <laughs> I think that's the full name. Soft pants by Fair State Brewing co-op here in Minneapolis. Here on the Quaff, we judge beers by three very well-known categories. That's right. Which, of course, are that beer's physicality. What's the beer? How, 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 what's the beer like? What does it look like? How, what's the can or bottle look like? We also judge it based on chuggability. How badly do you want to drink this beer? How quickly? How slowly? Somewhere in between. Right. And, of course... So, Jake, let's uh, let's crack let's crack into this bad boy. First off, we got the can here. Yes, which is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's got a real '60s, '70s psychedelia thing going on. Yes, sort indeed. of a funky paisley. A lot of warm colors. They describe it as a luxurious beer for those times when putting on your real pants and leaving the house just doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> very timely beer still to this day that's true this is a wood aged pastry stout with vanilla uh shall we open it up yes Ooh, a sound effect effort that has led to the dispersal of beer onto my laptop oh no with great gusto (laughs) you can't be trusted with it i cannot Listeners may not know this, but I once destroyed a laptop by spilling beer <laughs> onto it. <laughs> and I was not even recording the show. <laughs> and listeners might remember different times we've done this segment where you have also spilled beer everywhere. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> the beer was intense. <laughs> Why, it's going for a pour. I do not hear it. It's a very, very subtle, uh, quiet pour. I'm going to try and... Uh, Pour one for myself here. Mm. 
always disgusting when it's for mine. <laughs> well, we've talked about the can. Let's talk about this beer. Nice and dork. It's That's very a dark. dark old beer. With a pretty, like, kind of deep brown head to it. It is, yeah, very dark. It's just what you want to see with a stouter reporter. Mm-hmm. So what should we give the physicality of this beer? I would I would give it high marks. I'm giving this one like an eight or a nine. Yeah, I would say uh, so say an eight and a half. Eight and a half? I, it's maybe I just haven't done this in a while. I'm just excited to be back back in the quaff chamber. <laughs> the quaffery. <laughs> eight and a half it is. Cool. Alright, now All right, is Jake. the important part where we actually drink the beer. Here we go. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> And now to drink the beer. <laughs> Whoa. It's got that barrel-aged goodness. Wowzers. That's a crazy flavor. I don't think I've ever had a beer quite like that. What's it What's it hitting you with? Whew. I just want to know if, it's, if this is from shipping it or if it's just how it tastes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mine tastes like straight-up shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... And, you know... I've come to understand that my palate is pretty bad. <laughs> I have essentially the the palate of a raccoon or some sort of animal that eats garbage. So on the one hand, I can I can withstand berserk combinations of flavors, which makes <laughs> eating leftovers extremely good. On the other hand, so I taste cinnamon. <laughs> I got cinnamon marshmallows, too. Marshmallows, chocolate. Oh. Have you ever had marshmallows, chocolate, Jake? <laughs> Me drown in the beer. <laughs> One of my favorite treats: marshmallows, chocolate. It's like if several different desserts are all trying to cram through my taste buds at the same exact time, and in so doing, get you drunk. There is a woodsy element. Yeah, the barrel barrel agedness is coming through. Very much so, in a very delicious way. If you locked a fudge sundae inside of <laughs> a log cabin for a hundred years and then ate its body. That is what this is like. That is exactly what it's like. What do we want to give it for a chuggability score? I'm giving this one a negative six. It's a sipper. Yeah. It's a sipper. It's definitely boozy. I'm actually, let me check the old booza, booza hall level on this I can't find it, so while you look for that, I'm going to say, for me, I'm thinking it's like a, a negative three. I think I tend to be more open to drinking things quickly that probably ought not to be drunk <laughs> so quickly. They do not disclose. So we have to assume it's in the 40s or 50s percent wise. It is an arguably at least a 7%. It's gotta be, yeah. It's I got, mean, it's got, it's punch in my mouth. Yeah, negative 6 for me, negative 3 for you, so I'd say average of what? Negative 4 or 4.5-ish. And, uh, last but Absolutely not least. Man, oh man. I think my journey with this beer is going to end where it began. And uh, that's going to be Soft Pants Hard Dick. <laughs> and this has been the, the Quaff. <laughs> now, so that was the Quaff. I do want to point out now what better time than now to say so. But uh, we have some new merch in the old store, very relevant to what you just heard, and that is our new The Quaff bottle openers. Whoa, 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 They're whoa, available what? now for you to 
Perchance, if you feel so inclined. Perchance to purchase. We'll have, uh, we always have links to all of our shit in every episode, but I'll also have a separate link specifically to that one item if you want to go straight to it. It's cool. Mm. It's got the logo for the quaff, which is a thing. And uh, designed, of course, by Lauren Marple. And um, you're going to like it, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It's a very snazzy, uh, like, black matte stainless steel with the resin thing on the logo. It's just, it's nice. It's a keychain. And uh, it's great for opening all the bottles we still drink out of. (laughs) Yes. It can also be used to lift the can pull tab. Mm-hmm. Can technology now, perhaps the most popular. I like to use it sideways like a, um, an old-timey can opener to just cut around the entire top part of the can. Very sharp edges will cut your hands open. <laughs> that is a feature we can guarantee. <laughs> yes. Yes. Bloodletting or your money back. <laughs> no, of course, we are serious about how cool and classy this bottle opener is. Check it out. Get quaffing. Safely, responsibly. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Now back to the show. Oh, yeah. For my segment today, I chose something a little more well-known than I typically opt for. And so, consequently, it's pretty short and sweet. So, is tell it me... the death chair? It is? Yes? Do you know this one? Oh, I might kind of know a little <laughs> bit about this one. I was going to say, tell me, Mr. Dr. Shell, how much do you know about 18th century Yorkshire history? Sounds like... A decent amount. I know that part. I don't know anything else. Okay. <laughs> so you I didn't are... even know it was Yorkshire. I just know there's a chair called the Death Chair, and you said you said something about chair, and it, I was like Death Chair. It's also known as the Busby's Stoop Chair. <laughs> uh, so I'll be getting most of my content today from a pair of Medium articles, plus one from the Northern Echo, uh, which I think is actually a, a, a publication out of Yorkshire. So first, I'll give the gist of. A, a common version of the background story. Starting okay. in the late 1600s, a local man named Daniel Audi happily committed several crimes for the sake of his family's survival, some of which were theft of jewelry and counterfeiting currency throughout the city. Daniel had a daughter who he really loved, Elizabeth Audi. Uh, Elizabeth fell in love and uh, with fell in love with and married a local man named Thomas Busby who was also a partner in crimes with uh, a partner in crimes committed by her father. After counterfeiting Uh currency together, Daniel and Busby experienced disagreements about the distribution of rations and resulted in an argument. This is very poorly written. Um, Welcome to my world. They they had some disagreements about the the business they were getting into, and there was an argument. Having not reached a joint decision, they ended the argument and returned to their respective homes. The next day at night... The next day at night, <laughs> Daniel visited the inn where Thomas Busby and Elizabeth lived. Many sources say that Daniel went there to take his daughter Elizabeth back to his home. Another source said that Daniel only wanted to visit for the sake of visiting. Who would have thought Daniel's arrival at Busby's place would be the last day Daniel visited his daughter? Somebody died, right? Yep. Thomas Busby, who had just returned from a Do drunken... Like a chair? Do you like a wrestling move? I wish that were actually how it went. That'd be a much more interesting uh, way he got cursed. Uh, Thomas was out drinking with friends, uh, saw his father-in-law Daniel sitting in his favorite chair. With his emotions still running high, coupled with his drunken state, Busby could not help but feel the anger that was inside him. He fought with Daniel. Elizabeth, who was at that time, who, uh, who at that time was powerless to intervene, so just stay silent and watching the fight. 
Um, Daniel, who at that time just realized that Busby was drunk, suddenly ended the fight. Then he excused himself to go home. What? Yeah, it's weird. So I guess he saw he was drunk. He was like, ah, okay, you're drunk. I'm out of here. Uh, Busby, who was still pretty drunk, uh, was even more pissed off when he learned that Daniel had returned home, which I don't know how he learned not to see him leave. Yeah, what the fuck? Uh, Weren't they just fighting? He's like, you know what? I can't fight you. You're drunk. I think he didn't have object permanence. Yeah. So anyway, he decided he decided to follow Daniel to his house. When he arrived there, he attacked him with the hammer he was apparently carrying this whole time and Whoa. hit him on the head until Daniel lay lifeless with a pool of blood all around his it's body. Like Chekhov's hammer. Except for the part where we never saw it on the wall or saw it taken down. Shush. That's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> right. Uh, when Daniel was found dead, Thomas Busby became the pretty much only suspect and he was trialed for murder. Uh, he was found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. After being hanged, Busby's corpse was dipped in tar to preserve it, and it was gibbeted. Oh, uh, you know what gibbeting is, Wyatt? Doesn't sound good. It's when a person's body, usually when they're after they're dead, is placed either in um, kind of chains or an iron frame and hung from. They're calling it a stoop. It's a kind of a beam thing um, near the scene of his crime. So it's supposed to be a kind of warning to people who Public, might. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here, here be the punishments. Yes. He was gibbeted uh, off the old Great North Road crossroads between Thirsk and Ripon. In 1859, the historian William Grange said, The bones of the poor wretch who had committed murder were hung to fester in the sunshine and blow in the tempest until they fell piecemeal to earth. And tradition yet tells tales of night wanderers being terrified when passing this dreaded spot. I bet. That sounds gruesome as hell. It really does. Um, the story really starts with this detail, however. Just before being executed, Thomas Busby made one last request. He went to his inn, visited the chair he liked so much, and pronounced a curse on whoever sat in that chair after him, saying they would die horribly. Yikes. So there you go. Curse chair. The the death chair, you said. Do you, so what, what is all ringing a bell? The story I knew is curse chair. Sit mm-hmm. and you die. Mm-hmm. It's in a museum of oddities. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't want to steal your thunder, have it on the ceiling so no one can sit in it. Yes, indeed. So that is, uh, that'll bring us to the end of the story. I'll, I'll fill in all the death parts in between. That's the part we don't yet have covered. So that's the ah. the interesting part, or the exciting part. That's the part people are And concerned. is it not also in a museum that has, like, was this the uh, museum of the... Uh, the Warrens? The goofballs? The Warrens, yes. Uh, no, this is actually in a museum. I think a local museum there in the area. Never mind. Um... But do but, go on. Who died? Yeah, let's get into the curse part. The first one that you really see in most of the tellings of this was a chimney sweep in 1894. Oh, so He drank at the inn's bar and decided to sit in Busby's chair. He was found dead the next day, hanging from the front post of the inn. Yikes. His death was ruled Jesus. as suicide, but was it something far darker? Uh, after that, they say a lot of just, like, just vaguely many soldiers who visited the inn during World War II and who sat in Busby's chair did not return from battle. Residents speculated that they received the curse. The curse. Uh, an apprentice worker at the Busby Stoop Inn challenged his co-workers to sit in the chair. His friend accepted the challenge and sat on the chair. In the afternoon, he was found dead not far from the inn due to a mysterious accident. I should have checked some more Whoa. sources to see what the hell this particular one was about because it's just so vague in so many ways it is satisfying to me though on a personal level that we both had copy that were like huh (laughs) 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 um two young airmen spent the night at the inn sitting and relaxing and chatting you know in stuff uh initially they were hesitant 
to use Busby's chair at, as their seat. But because the taboo temptation was too great, uh, they both dared each other to sit in the seat. They eventually both did take turns sitting in the seat. Then, returning to the airfield, their car left the road and crashed into a tree. They both died on the way to Were they the, in the hospital. Car at the time? Oh, I yeah, that was be a unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's also a pool of water next to the car. I think I under- <laughs> And one of them was the other one's mom. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think I understand why we both hate the shit we're reading right now. <laughs> Which is, it's a series of tensionless grocery list stuff. Where you're just sort of like, this person walked down the street and they died. And this person picked up a stone and they died. And you're like, oh, okay. There was a really great talk I went to once when I still worked at the University of Missouri about a guy um, describing how he was trying to give tips on scientific commu- uh, science communication, and he actually used the Theodosius Dubzanski quote. Do you know what now? Uh, do you know Dubzanski, evolutionary biologist? He is probably most credited with the quote that nothing in modern biology makes any sense except in the light of evolution. Mm, mm, mm. But mm-hmm. the next sentence of that uh, quote is something to the effect of, uh, instead, it's just a sundry pile of facts. And so in this talk, I went to the guy who was saying, we don't want to nice. have our description of our research be a sundry pile of facts. Uh, instead of just having, uh, here's the thing we did, and then we did this thing, and then we did this thing. He talked about the idea of right. just when you can, um, substituting the conjunctions but and therefore wherever <laughs> possible it's as far just like just that, that alone like okay this happened but this happened therefore we did this like it just it you actually create a, a create an a actual arc here guys exactly and uh that's not happening with these stories about curses no pretty deep. much every time there is a curse and it killed people yeah for 25 minutes <laughs> So uh, the biggest list of them that all happened at once is in the 70s. The chair seemed to claim a number of victims, all all in rapid succession, including a cleaning lady who was diagnosed with a brain tumor after simply knocking into the chair, Uh, Mm, a number of mm. cyclists and motorcyclists who suffered fatal road accidents after stopping by and apparently sending the chair when they're there, a hitchhiker who was run over after having spent two nights at the pub, and a local man who died of a heart attack shortly after sitting in the cursed chair. Yowza. A group of construction workers, or as they call them there, builders, having a drink at the pub, cajoled the youngest of their group into sitting on the chair. Back at the site, the man fell through the roof of the building they were working on and landed on the concrete ground below. Uh, this death proved to be the final straw for in-owner Tony Earnshaw, which... It's surprising how many deaths it took, but um, he decided to banish the chair to the cellar. Seriously, though, that's crazy. Yeah. A delivery man from the brewery was in the cellar one day when he decided to try out the chair. Oh, no. He commented to Earnshaw that it was far far too comfortable to be left down there. He was killed shortly afterward when his van went off the road. So Earnshaw decided that the chair was just too damn dangerous, and he at last donated it to a local museum and asked that it be placed in a place... Where people couldn't sit on it. That's what you were saying about hanging it up high. So the local museum that received Busby's seat is the Thursk Museum, which is located in a fairly ancient building, apparently. The museum took the chair and put it in a hanging position up high so that no one else can sit on it. And since then, no one else has. And I I think we can both agree that since then, no one has died. This is actually a problem. (laughs) Um... So that's the the general story. It's, I mean, I've heard different variations of quite what it is that has happened in, in different steps of the story, right. but um, that's the major beats, more or less. 
so what do we think of it? I, I, I like a lot of these kinds of stories about cursed stuff. It's hard to corroborate a lot of the specific anecdotes because they tend to involve anonymous so-and-sos who did a thing and then something happened. Right. So that part of it is already difficult. Uh, one thing we can say, though, is the chimney sweep in uh, 1914, the friend who he had spent his last hours with admitted on his deathbed to having robbed and murdered the poor guy. Yikes. So that was an explanation for that one. Otherwise, it really just seems like it's a combination of exaggerating the legend for effect and, of course, our old pal confirmation bias. Oh, yes. So kind of like what we were saying with your story as well. Uh, these sort of things do just attract more mystique as they're told more and more. And um, and then if this is a case where people do interact with this thing, especially this is like a instead of like a, a family owned heirloom type thing that has something happen with it. This is a public thing you can visit and people say stuff happens. Any number, especially with an inn, people can visit from all over the place. You're going to have pretty high traffic of people coming and going, and then you have a lot of people sit in that chair, and then afterward, anything happens to any of them, the ones to whom something happens, you'll then trace back and say, oh, they sat in the chair. Exactly. ignore the number of people who probably also sat in the chair and didn't die a horrible death. Exactly. You could say that 100% of people who have lived have died. Yes. (laughs) Well, I, I mean, who are already dead. You and I have not yet died, for example, but we will. Well, the odds are good. (laughs) Um, The most interesting part of this whole story to me, though, is something that I hadn't actually heard before until I was researching it this time. It's not actually a part about the curse at all, but about the chair itself. Hmm. So after examining the chair, furniture historian Dr. Adam Bowett found that it spindles... That he died. <laughs> yeah, he, he learned that he died. Uh, he found that its spindles were machine-turned, whereas chairs made in the late 17th century, when this chair should have been uh, made, were made with a pole lathe. So he concluded mm. that the chair was caster style and made after 1840, at least 138 years after Busby's death. So Mr. Harding said, quote, no doubt there was a particular chair in the pub the locals dared visitors to sit in, and it's a story that everybody wants to tell. Aside from that, though, it's probably not the same chair. So even if mm-hmm. we accept the entire story of Busby's death and his cursing his favorite chair, <laughs> and even if we grant that the chair in question had an honest-to-goodness curse on it, even then, the chair that ultimately everyone associated with said curse wasn't actually that same chair. <laughs> It's like a it's like a computer chair with like wheels and shit. <laughs> yeah, it's just an office chair. <laughs> it's been here since <laughs> the early days. Yes. So wow. Yeah, people were talking about like, oh no, this is the cursed chair, and like, even if the original chair had a curse on it, which I mean, you and I don't believe curses are a real thing. It's not even the same chair. So that is is a Wowzers. fun a fun same curse different chair. <laughs> yeah, it just got transferred over. Yeah. Um, it's you know it's a Theseus's cursed chair situation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's more about the place, really. Um, Harding continued, "quote It's a great example of a folk tale that people add to. I'm not superstitious, but I wouldn't sit in it because if I did and it was knocked down by a car later, everyone would say it was down to the chair. But what if it was though? <laughs> That's true. But uh, <laughs> a cute little summation by this uh, chair that historian." Saying that, yeah, he... Chair history is finally like, yes, my moment. (laughs) (laughs) Or a furniture story. Just a little bit broader than the chair chair story. He's like, you know what? I was way too specialized. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that is what I got for us this week. Chests and chairs. 
and deaths. Oh my! Indeed, the original text to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. <laughs> That's the in one, which right? Alice finds her way. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. What do we do now, Jay? Do uh, yeah, we I think we, I think talk we can, about something else. Yeah, I think the thing we could talk about before we bail for the week is uh, the fine folks for- who help make this show possible phantoms go for it <laughs> um oh no i jumped on stage in my bathrobe and it's open oh no oh yes for phantoms the little brewery that could in western mass making just the most delicious beer and sponsoring the heck out of our show they've got some delicious treats on tap first up as we've said in weeks past, Purple Potion is back in the mix. Mm-hmm. And my favorite pseudo British thing to say now this is one wild and delicious tart beer. <laughs> Full of raspberry and blackberry and boysenberry? Maybe I've said it wrong last week. Maybe I'm totally wrong what kind of sour it is. It certainly wasn't poisonberry. Right. And it definitely has some invigorating aroma of lavender. And we I just had one the other day, and it was just as delicious as ever. Refreshing, drinks kind of somewhere between a sour and a shandy in a very nice way. Yeah, the sours from Four Phantoms are very smooth and drinkable, especially if you're, if you're kind of nervous about drinking a sour and want to try and learn to like them. This is a great place to start because they're just, they just go down so easy. Yeah, Jake, what would you say is less than a pinch or a squeeze? Like a softer version of that. Uh, a clutch? A clutch, yeah. It's cheek-clutchingly uh, tart. <laughs> <laughs> um, following this, we have Battle Standard, which I have finally tried. I've tried all these Ooh. new beers now, Jake, I'm happy to say. I will probably be trying them pretty soon. Uh, Drew did email to say that he sent, is sending them, and I never responded. <laughs> Sorry, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> we should definitely quaff at least one. Maybe more than one at the same time. Oh my. Just palm onto a glass. Battle standard, absolutely delish lager. Mm. And we've got the big boy, Hand of Doom Oatmeal Stout. Delicious treat for dessert. Very, very cool labels on both of these cans. I'm excited for Battle Standard because I don't usually super love lagers. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, last summer they put out a Pilsner that I genuinely loved. So True. The Pilsner rocks. Oh my God. And not just on the label. Ha. Yeah. And you will love Battle Standard as well, I think. Great. Can't it's, wait. it's a very interesting lager. Um, this is the part of the show where we just like have a conversation between the two of us about the beers that sponsor us, and you guys get to listen as well. Uh, this is the thing that you have to pay us for, which is we are friends, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All the artwork on their cans is fun, and even more fun, 5% of sales goes to supporting those artists, uh, which is super cool, and... They rotate their beers all year, and mm-hmm. and you can catch them by, uh, via curbside pickup if you want to contact them via the information we'll provide. You can also uh, get them in all kinds of different beer mongers throughout Massachusetts <laughs> and Rhode Island. I prefer to call them brew mongers. That too. Other than that, we do encourage you to leave them a favorable review. Uh, Say it unseen if you want to. It's still a nice thing to do. Just leave them a nice five-star review on Untapped. Untapped. Uh, as we've said, if you leave a nice review to them and reference our show, we will read that review on said show. Wilson Turk, friend of the show, uh, oh he did that. Oh my God, is it happening, Jake? 
We said if you reference the show, we will read your review on the show. I think he took that to mean fit in as many references to the show as a human being possibly can. And I think he did set the bar pretty high on that. Oh my God. Lay this on me. Got a message from him in the past week or so on Instagram saying that he uh, left a review but was cut off by the 140 character limit. So here is not that many characters. No, it's not. But here is the full director's cut of that review. Yikes. I don't know if I'm blowing up Wilson's cover by saying so, but he is, I believe, actually Sasquatch. Or at least was writing out Sasquatch for this review. He says, wow. quote, the review for Purple Potion. He says, the best beer for game day. Nothing perfectly pairs better with ringside seats to a showdown of cults as this amazing elixir does. Mm. First time I consumed this, I was drawn in by an unknown sonic force, which I have later been informed was just simple old Havana syndrome, but it made me realize I hadn't called my buddy from Chicago in a minute. Wow. Anyway, P-Tom and I, Sasquatch, decided to catch up over a beer and thought of no better place than here. I cannot stress enough how important it was to reconnect as this pandemic has hit us both hard since people have really avoided being outside near us. By the end of the night, after drinking a whole matrix worth of beer, P and I were well underway laughing about our instant classics together. We told stories all night from our gullible's travels to all of our missed opportunities. We Holy sure shit. were spirited company. At one point, P started talking about this abject object he once found at a bed and breakfast tales at the mountains of parentheses March a couple of years back. It was a little pamphlet about a kangaroo show, and he told me, don't go there, bro. I was like, what the flux, dude? Because to me, that sounded pretty cool. But according to him, it was well below underneath all of the other shows he had seen. Wow. After the last call, we decided to to stop the monkey business, and I had a hard time finding my ID. I need a new one anyway, since my photo is blurry, and no one believes it's really me. But P was like, don't have a cowman, dog man, which made me chuckle so hard, I stepped on my glasses, which went crunch, crunch, yowie, I yelled in surprise. Oh, Jesus. After such a clumsy end to the evening, we decided to have a donut <laughs> the next day, and the next morning, I had a throbbing headache. It felt like I was stuck in the Shadowlands roulette, and the only way out was a little bit of the hair of the Michigan dog man. Anyway, I cannot recommend this beer enough despite having truly no memory of that night. And while someone took a picture of us, like all untapped photos, it's so blurry it looks as if my camera had scotch tape covering the lens. Much love, S. Quatch. Wow. I'm going to quit the show now. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course. That is, as they would say, saturated. Mm -hmm. Very impressive review. Made me remember, we've done a lot of uh, episodes of the show, and those episodes have had dumb names. <laughs> and uh, all the more impressive that Wilson was able to make those still fit into actual sentences in a cohesive and coherent way. Indeed. Very well done. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Wilson. That was astounding. Uh, bar, perhaps set insurmountably high. <laughs> However, one that is wonderful and uh, very, very kind. Thank you so much for doing that. And fear not, you don't need to go to quite those lengths to still get your review read on the show. If you just leave a nice, funny, creative review. Super Duperstitious sent me here. Yep. We'll still uh, still shout you out. But do do exercise your license of poetry (laughs) to go and lean in as hard as Wilson did, which is wonderful. Yes. Wilson is a good friend of the show. Long-time listener. So we thank him. We thank Four Phantoms. And uh, I think we should also, before we go for the uh, for the evening, Ooh, we should also thank back up. a 
patron of this podcast on Patreon. We call it patrons now. I think th- I think that's happening. All right. And uh, how do we do this part? <laughs> this is where we're gonna boot up the NC AAA device. We, we all remember this from last week's episode. Yeah. So we, we used, used it for, for what original. it's actually supposed to do, yeah. which is compare cults, but. Today we're going to use it for the thing that we always use it to do, which is of course the pander function, pre- patron or patron appreciation neural <laughs> dive for evaluation of risk. You wanted this, so you turn it on now. Boop. <laughs> and now we're gonna take these. I didn't know it went boop. <laughs> it sometimes well, does. You never uh, know. It <laughs> does. I think it especially goes boop after we drink a beer. Yeah. And now we just take these weird tendril cord things, plug them into the backs of our skulls, uh, right into the brain. Good. Yes, indeed. This allows us to access the dark ether and calculate uh, through it what creatures, cryptids, uh, creepy crawlies, our Patreon uh, patrons, I guess I'm just going to commit to now, need to <laughs> individually be aware of in the we world. We could also call them Pat Rons. Yeah, that's also an option. Um, and when Jake says dark ether, I'm no longer clear whether he means dark ethernet <laughs> or... I actually wish I had thought of that sooner. Actual evil stuff. But yeah. here we go. I'm sensing that Pander wants us to read something for Ryan. Ryan Challen. Or Holland? Holland could be. Ryan, be on the lookout for... The Haddock the Goblin. The Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> now, normally, <laughs> when I hear that phrase, I think of my father. <laughs> what? Who, on Thursday nights, when I call him up, I say, what you up to, Dad? He says, Haddock Goblin. Oh, God. <laughs> but I think in this case, we must go back to the date of April 17th, 1956, in Newburyport, Massachusetts, mm. Samuel not Jackson, Jansen. encountered an Johnson? odd thing. A gray, hairy creature about uh, four feet tall with oddly angled legs and slim and bony arms running through the marshes. Sounds like us. Samuel had been out <laughs> fishing in the bay and had only just returned through the network of estuaries that snake through the marshes in the area when it happened. He got out of his boat with a length of rope to drag it onto the dry ground. When he, looked, when he turned to look back at his boat, this weird creature I described already was reaching out into the boat to grab one of Samuel's caught fish, a haddock. It was goblin. I mean, goblin. <laughs> <laughs> it was both those things, and then it uh, galloped off in an odd loping way with the fish it had grabbed. Samuel, as I guess we say in New England, hightailed himself and his story to the local police. That's what we say. A small search proceeded but was quickly called off. It received a small paragraph in the local newspaper, but nothing more. The search did, I assume. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now it mostly survives with a story on the playgrounds of the area schools. (laughs) So, So, Wilson, if if you find yourself in coastal Massachusetts, keep your haddock safe, you know? Keep them secure. Watch out for weird little goblin guys. And if you do experience it, you can say, I've haddock up to here with these goblins. Christ almighty. And thank, thank you, you very for much supporting the show. For, for supporting the show with actual money. Uh, we appreciate it very deeply. Let's, let's, let's unplug really these things from our brains now. Sounds good. There we go. Should we turn off the machine? Boop. I, <laughs> thank you. And 
Uh, Perhaps we should turn off the episode. <laughs> I think we should. Just uh, yeah, if you want to support the show, we appreciate it very much. For even a dollar a month, you can have your own creature or haddock monster calculated by this machine. We appreciate it. Other rewards are cool. And uh, otherwise, just for free, you can you can rate and review the show. That's always cool, too. That helps people find us and helps us love you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll uh, see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.